0: We've been on a bit of a journey this weekend. We started off looking up and being reminded of worship, what how it is that we even became worshipers of God, being that we realized the goodness of the gospel, and it ignited us in our worship. And once we were back in our upright position, looking up, worshiping God, Uh, we then did the natural thing was to then go inside, because we had the freedom to do that and the safety to do that because of the gospel, and when we went inside, we saw that we were selfish, that we thought too highly of ourselves and too lowly of ourselves, really thought too much just of ourselves, and because of, again, the grace of the gospel, the work of the spirit in our life, and that was replaced by humility, where we could then move past uh, thinking of ourselves and begin to think, God, what is, what is it that you want me to do or say uh, in the body of Christ? <coughs> and when we started to move, uh, started to look out at that point. And that's when we talk about the gifts, done the up and the in and then it was time to get practical and think about, okay, what is it that that I have that God's given me to put into practice to begin loving the people that are in the church and we want to continue in that vein we want to be thinking about looking out and we'll, we'll be continuing in this vein in the morning uh, when we get to, uh, to session 4 uh, and so the next, next part of Romans 12 is looking out Part is uh, a discussion about love. And at the vision meeting, some talk about what does it look like if you're a fully formed church. And Ryan gave you some, some good handholds for that, with those six things. Um, and if you sort of wrapped all those together, you could define that by one word, love. If you're fully formed, here's what you're, you're doing. You're, you're loving well, expressing love, and uniquely Christian love, not just sort of this amorphous love that's in our culture, but uniquely Christian love to one another and to the world. And so it makes sense that Apostle Paul would would end up talking about love here at the the end of this particular chapter. And, And before Apostle Paul talked about it, Jesus talked about it. John chapter 13, verse 34, he's talking to disciples, he says, a new command I give you Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Some of the the last things that Jesus is saying to the disciples, he actually says it over and over and over in the Upper Room Discourse in the book of John. He says, I want you to love each other. I'm commanding you to love each other. And so what we want to look at tonight in Romans 12 is, okay, well, what does that look like? If, I, if we're loving each other well and it's this uniquely Christian love what, what does it look like? And so the Apostle Paul gives us some practical ways to think about Christian love and, and I don't think this is his exhaustive list or anything, I just think he just starts sort of giving this, this sort of machine gun of, of different things to think about when we're thinking about this unique Christian love and it's, it's pretty profound stuff so let's take a look chapter 12, Romans verse 9 it he says, love must be sincere. Literally means without hypocrisy. And so to me this means that it's not manipulative. That you're not giving to get. You're not loving in order to, to be loved. Now certainly within the church it's a one another kind of experience and you love and you get love back. But he's saying even if you don't get love back, you still love. When you hear that in Jesus' command, I command you, love. And say, love, if you get love back, he just says to, to love. And uh, this is fairly unique. It's a fairly unique kind of love. Uh, another way to think about it um, is that there's... There's no reciprocity. Right? There's no return on this love. And Jesus, he illustrates this, I think, by talking about loving enemies. I hear a lot talk about that in the Gospels. Luke 6, he says this. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And certainly he's telling us to to love our enemies, but I think he's also pressing this idea of loving those who can't love back. You're doing something uniquely Christian. You're doing something that uniquely role plays the gospel, because that's what God does for us. He loves us, even when we can't love him back. We've, We've had some opportunities to do that in our church recently. We've had uh, some folks who live on the streets. There's not that many in our area. We kind of live in a little, little bubble. Everyone's happy in our happy valley, but, but there are some folks that uh, live on the streets, and and so they have started popping in to our services and coming in Wednesday night and being part of the meal and being part of, uh, of, of, of you know the small groups and Every once in a while, they act out, and they have problems, and the police have had to come to our building, sometimes on Sunday morning. Oh, dear. And uh, one particular gentleman, um, I, 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 I walk out of the front door. It's, it's before our first service, and so there's just, just the teams there, not, not necessarily the, the folks that are going to attend the service. And So I open up the door, and there he is with a police officer. The police, the police are already there. <laughs> And they saw him kind of crawling around, looking in the windows down in the the kids' area. And so thankfully the policeman saw him and, and, you know, stopped. Hey, what's going on? And when I walked out, he immediately thought that I had called the police on him. And so he's like, you know, you effing pastor going (laughs) off on me. And of course, at that point, the policeman He's had enough, and uh, he's calling back. Up, and before I know it, we've got four cruisers out front. This is probably every cruiser in our whole town, and they're throwing this guy on on the uh, on the hood, and they're cuffing him, and they and they take him away. And I'm just like, I don't remember this in seminary class. This is, this is wrong. And then he, the the police come over, and they said, just we to let you know that uh, he's this class three sex offender kind of person, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of alert people. This, this person's been here. This, you know, and people, he'd already been in the mix a little bit, and, and we knew who he was. Well, then he, he came back. So said he was in a little better state of mind. So What do you do? Right? And so now when he comes, he gets a chaperone, and he's got somebody with him the whole time that he's on our property, but we're tempted to, to love him. And, and we're not, we're definitely not getting any love back. <laughs> this, is a, this is a drain on our resources <laughs> and on our folks. Um, and so in addition to, to this one, we started helping out with a warming shelter uh, down the street. And so my family and I, we, we volunteer once in a while on Friday mornings, so I'm in there meeting people and, and getting to know the names and trying to remember names. Well, of course, the next Sunday, couple guys walk in the church, you know, and again, it's an opportunity to to love and, and to love without any kind of a return, so to speak. And I, I truly believe God is, is bringing these folks as gifts to our church. So we have the opportunity to express this kind of one-sided gospel um, love, which is, is, is challenging, to, to say the least. And so uh, well, ask yourself, am, am I loving anyone who can't reciprocate? Am I expressing love to, to, to anyone in my sphere of influence, or in this church, or somewhere else where God's giving you an opportunity where you, there's no reciprocation, or maybe not even any hope of a reciprocation? Right? Or, or is someone loving you? Christian brother or sister that is loving you or has loved you, even though you were in a place where you could not reciprocate in any way. But they just did. They just just loved you. It's a uniquely Christian kind of thing. Very, very powerful. Um, He continues to give us some insight into this Christian love. He says, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. He's letting us know that, that love and truth are not mutually exclusive, which in, in our culture it, it, it does seem to be that way. I've heard some sort of public service announcement that New York City was putting out. They said you need to hate, hate, and love, love. I don't know if you've heard this. It was, it was on radio coming through, coming through the city. It's like hate, hate, and, and love, love. Although, how can you hate, hate, and can't hate? But I, anyway, it, it kind of implodes as you try to think about the logic, logic of but, but Paul here is saying, no, you, you can hate something while you're loving at the same time. You, you can hate evil. And you can cling to, literally, you, you can be glued to what is good. Which again, this is, this is uniquely, uh, it's uniquely Christian. We, we, while we're loving unconditionally, part of the way that we're loving is we're holding to the truth in the way that we, we love people. Apostle Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 13 which we always think of when we think about love in, in the Bible and he says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with truth right? that love and truth are, are not mutually explicit they, they, they are together they're one they're and the same uh, he, he says again in, in Ephesians 4.15 instead speaking the truth in love he just keeps mashing them together but listen to what he says will happen if there's a community where truth and love are, are, are married together. He, he says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. So if you, you want to be a mature church, want to be a, a church that's able to, to really love well, that, that part of that is going to be clinging to the, the truth, hating what's is good and true. I think one, one of the laboratories where we get to do this is when we deal with um, the, the gay issue. Right? And we get to hold truth and love very tightly. And I, I always get um, you know, I get worked up and really nervous when I have to deal with, with this issue and it comes up a lot in, in our area. And when we, were first, when we first moved there, and people would see our advertising or whatever, and see that we're a new church, and I'd get these calls, and, then, and they would just say, you know, like, where do you stand on the gay issue? And I would give them a soundbite. You know? I'd say, you know, we you know, believe, that. We know that and we put, um, sex is the experience. And it's of marriage, which is one man, one you woman. Know, some, or Some kind of soundbite like that. And, and they were, were like, all right, thank you. you know, hang up on me. <laughs> And then print that somewhere so that everyone knows that we're not, you know, a gay-friendly church. Kind of thing. And so then I, I said, "No, this is this is not working out very well." So now people call and, and I say, "I'd love to meet with you and talk." And you know, every every time I've, I've had face to face, sit down, and people want to talk about this issue, somehow. Christ does something, the power of the Spirit, in that meeting where I'm able to communicate truth and love. And we part ways, not necessarily convincing them or anything, but they say, I know you care about me. Love the sinner, hate the sin. All right. And it's, it's a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural thing It's in the power of, of the Spirit. This is uniquely Christian. We can hold to the truth and, and be loving. Right? That's very counter to our culture, uh, currently the way we think about love in our culture. So ha- have you loved someone in the church enough to tell them something they don't want to hear? Are you close enough to somebody, some brother, sister in Christ where you've seen an issue in their life and you've been willing to say, I see this, I'm worried about this, I've got to point this out because I love you. That, that's a sign of some kind of health inside of, of the church. Or has someone loved you that way? Where they've loved you enough, where they've gone through that uncomfortable barrier of sitting down and saying, i, I got to say this. I think you're, you're going off the wrong path. So some, something's going on in your life. I, I want to talk to you because I love you. That's, that's part of loving within church. Fully formed. church. Uh, he goes on. He says, verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Um and he uses these two family love kinds of Greek words. Right? Philostorgos, which is mutual love within a family. And then Philadelphia, this brotherly love idea. So again, he's, he's saying, love each other like your family. And right? of course, NIV picks that up and says, be devoted. So there's this that commitment idea to one another. It's pretty important. Isn't it? Is there someone in a church that you're committed to like? family? That if they need something, you, you're going to drop everything. Whatever, whatever they need, you're going to do it. They're in crisis. They're hurting. They need something. They need a babysitter. And they're exhausted. And their marriage is struggling. And and, and you're tired too. But we'll take the babies. Right? We, we, will, we will do whatever it takes to love this person. Because they are like. That, that's part of what fully formed sure fellowship it looks like now, you can't do that with a hundred people right but small set of folks within a larger congregation so f- for me now uh, our, our elders right, and their families and the staff like if they need something I'm there I drop everything right? no matter what I, they need it the another day Martin called me he's like I need to ride to the airport and my wife was gone. She was visiting her sister in Texas from Thursday to, to Monday. I had a congregational meeting on Friday I had Sunday, all day Sunday stuff. I had the kids, I was trying to keep the house. So when wife comes home, she doesn't feel you know frazzled <laughs> from being gone. And and Martin's like, can I get a uh, you know a ride to the airport? And uh, I'm like, yes, yes, you can. I want I, I made that commitment to you. You're you're my brother. I can't do that for everyone. Feel good to been just a, you know, a, one of our college students, I would have said, here's a number to call, and uh, that person probably would give me a ride to the airport, but, but for Martin, absolutely, I know it's going to be a big trip, and I want to have that conversation with him, It's committed to him, in a, in a couple of days, uh, Monday night, Kevin Graff is going to be flying from Austin, Texas, and he's got a, a meeting in Boston, but he's coming in two days early. He's my old college roommate. We're best, uh, best men in each other's wedding. Uh, we went through having our, our first sons uh, about the same time, just a, a few weeks apart. Um, and he's my brother. Like, I mean, whatever this guy would need. We, we flew uh, to Austin to be a part of his oldest son's sort of rite of passage when he turned 13. And we made sure that we were there for that, that big who is it? Who's, who's that, that set of folks that you're devoted to like family? In a, in a fully functioning, healthy church, it's got to be a, a set that you have, that you know you're that way, and that you love them that way. Uh, it goes on. It says, Honor one another above yourselves. ESV says, Outdo one another <laughs> in, in showing honor. Everyone in the church is is fighting to be the host as opposed to the guest. Right? When when you're the host, people come into your home and you open the door. You don't wait for them to say something to you. You don't just stand there awkwardly. No, you say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Please come in. Can I take your coat? Hey, would, would you like something to drink? Oh, there's some friends of mine. Do you know that? Okay, you don't. Well, let me introduce them to you. Like all the inconvenience is on you. Right? That's, that's, that's part what he's talking about. Honor other people above yourselves. Oftentimes we come in this setting and we're like, well, I've only been here two months since church, so I'm the guest. Right? Don't, don't say that. Hop in there, be the host. Be the host. Welcome people that have been there for two years. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It'll be good for them. Yeah, Wow, they're welcoming people. This is great. Okay? But to, to, be, to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. Um, are there folks that you're willing to be inconvenienced? Or are there folks that, with your own needs, you inconvenience them? You need something, you're hurting, you're struggling, you need some encouragement, and you know they have busy lives, but you call them anyway because they're family, right? They're your, they're your brother, they're your sister in Christ, and you're willing to inconvenience them. That's, that's part of this experience of fully formed, functioning, loving, So I don't know about you, but I start to have some sustainability questions, right? like, All this sounds great, we're at a retreat, and, you know, yeah, let's go be loving, but, but then I get back to real life. <laughs> Life's full already, lots of responsibilities, work is challenging, kids are challenging, you hardly have enough time to have you know, community with your spouse, much less some other people. And, and so, How can can you really do this thing we're talking about? Sustain it. Um, Paul talks about that too. He does. Verse 11. He says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Never be lacking in zeal. That's a great old word. And it communicates both this idea of passion, but over the long haul. This persevering passion, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. I don't think he's just saying, When you're a college student. You're going to have zeal, but then, you know, you get older, right? And Ryan was really, he's he's challenging you today to say, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. Don't go to sleep. Don't, don't, don't settle in to the ruts. No, keep your zeal. Keep your passion. And do that over, over the long haul. This idea of spiritual fervor. Literally, spiritual boiling. Right? I, I don't think the Apostle Paul is looking for any, any kind of a coasting in as you get older kind of an idea. But again, how do you maintain that? And then he gives that answer right there on the back half of this verse. He says, serving the Lord. Interesting. I thought we were talking about loving people. And now he's saying, we're serving the Lord. Right? He brings us back to worship. Right? It's, it's because of this gospel-ignited worship that we have what it takes in here to continue to reach out and love people in the kinds of expensive ways that we're, we're talking about. If we shift into I'm just going to grit my teeth and try to be a good little boy, a good little girl, I'm just going to love people in church like I know I should and I ought to will burn out. It won't last. It won't be zeal, I'll tell you that. It we will burn out and be bitter. You know? But if it's out of this worship that ignites in us this passion It'll work. He it, it, it says, be joyful in hope. That's, that's more gospel language. Right? You might think he be joyful in, in your great church, or be joyful in the vision of your great church, or be joyful in, in, in the circumstance. No, he's like your hope. And where Paul gets hope is got the gospel. Nowhere else. It's like they, there's, there's nothing else that you want to have as your primary hope except the. Yeah, this, this is what fuels us on a continual basis to be able to have this zeal, this spiritual uh, fervor. It says, patient in affliction. He's, he's not painting a rosy picture here. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be trying times as we try to live out this life in, inside the church. But because we're serving the Lord and uh, we're being fueled by that, we can do this. When we got to our 10-year anniversary as a church, which is a big, big milestone, because I didn't know if we'd make it to 10 years. I, I didn't know if we'd make it to five years. but We made it to 10. Justin and Rebecca were there. We had all the alumni that were, were able to come, could come back and a big service. And it, was, it was awesome. Now, now, while that was happening, my wife and I were just we're crashing. Just really tired, really fatigued really wishing we, we had some peers that were our, our best friends after 10 years of ministry, but we didn't. And, and so this mantra that I heard at, at home from my wife, she'd say, I'm done. <laughs> I am just done. And, and it was interesting, even though she was saying she's done, she, she would give herself permission to, to rest and be still and, and then some opportunity to love someone would come up and she'd be compelled to do it. But except this time it was, it was not out of obligation, it was because she wanted to do it. Right? Because I told her, I said, let's just, just rest, just pull the plug, just be at home. Just don't, you don't have to go to a small group anymore, it's okay. We're not going to host anything in our home. Just shut down. And I told the church this, too. I said, I'm going to preach a sermon on Sunday. That's all I can do. I'm done. For a for temporary time. But then things started to come from a place of worship. And, and not out of a place of obligation. Well, I'm the pastor's wife. Therefore, I have to do this or that. Or all the other things. And I think you have to hit 40 for that to happen. I, I don't know what it is. But... Uh, we both, both turned 40, and it was just like, wow, life's still hard, in a <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 40. And we had to re recenter into that place of, of gospel-ignited um, worship. So, do I trust God enough that he will sustain me such that I will open my life more relationships and more opportunities to give my life away. That's a real act of faith. It's a real act of faith. Do I trust? And if I do open up my already very, 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 very busy life to new relationships and new opportunities for giving my life away, do I trust that God will supernaturally sustain me Want to say. He he will. He will sustain you. When he says my yoke is easy, he's not saying that the yoke is little. He's saying that he will supernaturally carry the yoke. And if he has called you to the yoke of marriage, family, work, church involvement, having your neighbors over for dinner, etc. 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 And he's going to sustain that. And in fact, he's going to abundantly give you life as you obey him and get up under that yoke that seems so large. I mean, at the beginning of of this semester, it was the first kind of big launch Sunday. Students are back. And I'm lying in bed. I'm looking at the clock. It's 6 a.m. And I'm like, I just feel like I have this weight on me. Like, Lord, I do not want to. And I'm thinking not only about the Sunday ahead, but I'm thinking the men's retreat at our church, the women's retreat at our church. I'm thinking about this retreat. I'm thinking about a trip to Atlanta next week for two days with college uh, planters. I'm thinking about uh, the church planning conference to take uh, some of our emerging planters to in a couple weeks. I'm thinking about another men's retreat that I'm going to do for Hope Fellowship in Cambridge. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going, God. <coughs> Can't do it, and he it just almost audible. He's like, "Because you don't trust me. You don't trust me. Did I call you to these things? Did you pray about these things? Did you feel compelled by the Spirit to do these things?" Yes, sir, I did. Then I will sustain. You. Not only will I sustain you, I, I will. I'll give you abundant life as you follow me and obey me. And You know what? I am charged up this weekend. Like, I'm two thirds down the marathon of this semester, and I love, I'm having a great time, guys. I was, I was sitting in a, the uh, Small World Coffee House in Princeton today, and I'm just like, this is a good time, Lord. Like, you, you're, you're restoring my soul. How is that you did that with the schedule that I'm doing? Right. Supernatural. Supernatural. So, do I trust God enough to open my life? new relationships, new opportunities to give my life away? And do I trust that God will sustain others as I impose on them with my needs? And with my, my need for friendship or my need for encouragement or my need for a night out, a babysitter, whatever. Just to believe that if, if, if they take that yoke of, of ministry to me that Christ will sustain. form. Church, that kind of thing is is going on. And and people are carrying that kind of weight that from the outside looks impossible, but from the inside, in the power of spirit, yoke is is easy. The burden is is light. He goes on, he says, uh, faithful in prayer. Please do not attempt what we are talking about tonight without praying. You will go down in flames. (laughs) All right? It was scaring me a little bit when Ryan was talking to you guys about solitude, and you guys don't do solitude. I certainly hope you do solitude. Because if you don't, you're going down. I'm serious. With all the opportunities that that are there and ways to serve and people you can relate to, you've got to sort through those things in prayer. Otherwise, you'll just get completely overwhelmed. You also will receive power as you pray. That's part of where that sustainability comes from. You're serving the Lord. You're in prayer on some kind of regular basis. And through that, he's giving you not only direction, but he's giving you power so that you can carry whatever the weight is that he's asked you to carry. There's also a great need for you to intercede for each other, to pray for each other. That's, any, any kind of healthy church fully formed church, loving church one of the ways that you love without getting reciprocation you pray for people and, and 99% of the time they don't even know it, that you're praying for them it's a, it's a, it's a stunning act of Christian love to pray for folks do you, do you pray for folks, not to answer this But do you pray for people in your church some kind of regular basis. If not, start praying for some folks. Doesn't have to be everybody on your whole membership list. Or maybe you can, if, if that's what God's calling you to. But, but a, a small set of folks that you are consistently praying for. Whenever church planters ask me about what, what what do you do, like what's your silver bullet? You know, how do you how do you plant a church? I say, well, every Monday morning go hide in the library for about four hours, and I just pray. Every week, pray. And get power in that, and get direction in that, and then whatever He reveals to me in that, I just try to do it, try to execute that the rest of the week, and just go through that rhythm every every week. You cannot attempt this this life that we're talking about, of, of extravagant, expensive love, without Pretty, pretty active prayer life. Um, thirteen, verse thirteen, this is the last verse we'll look at. He says, share with God's people who are in need. It's describing that one of the one of the ways that God's people like they show love to each other is, is they give. They give their money away. When you look at Acts chapter two, one of one of the defining characteristics of the church is is that they're giving away their money. I mean, Barnabas, he's like the poster child for the New Testament church in Jerusalem. He's selling a whole field, selling off real estate, bringing all the proceeds from that real estate and just putting it at the apostles' feet, indicating no strings attached. Whatever you guys think, please, by all means, use these resources. And again, it is is—it is a way that we express love. So, again, yeah. our are you giving money to this church? See, pastors love for other pastors to come in and talk about money. (laughs) And evidently, you guys are pretty generous because this is one of the things that, uh, when we were talking about who are the givers, Ryan said, it's this church. That's a blessing. That's a real blessing for ministry, for uh, pastor and, and staff. But again, continue your zeal and your spiritual fervor in giving, and giving generously, giving sacrificially. It will be part of how God releases His power through this ministry and reaches folks in, in New York City. Uh, are you yourself willing to receive help from other folks? It's a two-way type of thing. Two-way type of thing. And it's, it's a powerful way to, to express love. And again, it, it, can, it can not only be know, sort of formal giving to to the church, but just giving to each other when there's a need. Letting people use your stuff or giving giving your home or however God brings you opportunities to do that. And then lastly, last part of verse 13, he says, practice hospitality. Um, So much of what we've talked about tonight regarding love is just wrapped up in hospitality. It's a great Greek word, philo. There's that word philo again. Oh, brotherly love thing, philo xenos. Loving with familial love, brotherly love, the stranger. Right, you hear about xenophobia? That's fear of the stranger. Well, this is philo xenos, love for the stranger. Wouldn't it be great if the church was known for philo xenos instead of xenophobia? <laughs> And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. You are to be people who love the the stranger. Uh, This this is not easy. Uh, Peter describes it like this in chapter 4 of his book. He says offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Must not be all that easy. (laughs) If there's a temptation for grumbling. But it is, it is one of the most concrete fellowship-building ways to show up to each other. is to open your homes, open your dinner tables, open your lives for people to go in. And, and again, you're like, I don't have time for this. I don't, I, 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 the schedule's too booked. Or, but what happens is, as you, you take that step of faith, you open up the calendar, you open up <coughs> your home, and then the people come over, and then you're like, why don't we do this sooner? Wow, this, this, the, the relationships that were built, the, the conversations that were had—like this, this is this is pretty special. This is pretty unique. It's essentially how we planted uh, our church. Like when we when we got there, we've been trained in the sending out a mailer to Brazilian people, and then they all come to service. And out of the crowd, you take the core, and you take the core, and you start a church, right? So so we send the mailer out, and like one couple came yeah like hey, welcome to new england you know <laughs> Woo-hoo! like looking in the book like what did i do wrong <laughs> and and so then the next thing that happened was funding got cut so then i didn't have any money to send out any oh mail so so then it was like okay we gotta, we gotta go back to, to, to the drawing board here. i guess we're just gonna have to like actually love people and have them in our home and so the way it worked was we could uh, we had our little group of 20 or 30 students that were that were coming on Sundays, and whoever walked in who was new, we said, hey, would you come to our house for lunch after the service? And, you know, part of my wife's gifting and passion is, is hospitality, and so, man, we had a spread. We, we had, you know, a tablecloth and, and nice plates and roast beef and... Dessert and coffee, and if we we never asked them to, to leave, basically. I mean, if they wanted to stay till five o'clock in the evening, we just we just talked and we related and we got to know people. That's how we planted our church. So when are you going to invite our church to your house? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's quite an experience. Justin and Rebecca have <laughs> my house, and they, they, they've been able to experience that. But, but that, that was how we reached the first wave of, of people. It's also how. We, we did a lot of disciple making, just just around the dining table, talking about life, and you know, our kids are in the mix, and you know you see our house and our marriage, and it's all just out there. It's, it's not perfect, but folks that were in our home got got to see a Christian home, a Christian family, and it became a, a real you know, part of how the church was was planted. So now when planters, potential planters, and their wives come to our to the valley to consider planting, this is what I always tell them. How do you, you know, what are you going to have to do to plant a church? Well, you're going to have to have people in your home and basically you come with a, with a healthy family and then you, enjoy, you know, invite others to come be a part of your, your family. That's how you start a church from scratch. And the uh, mm-hmm. ministry of hospitality. Now guess how you're going to reach New York City with the gospel. It's not going to be with mailers. Right? Nothing wrong with mailers. I think you should do them. If you got some money to do some advertising, absolutely. It's part, part of the mix, part of letting, letting people know who you are and, and letting the neighborhood kind of get used to you and know that you're there and you're consistent, you're faithful. But I'm telling you, the way you're going to reach New York City is that people are going to be right around your dinner table. They'll be in your home, They'll be in your life. And you're going, to, you're going to share life with them. And you're going to talk about difficult, awkward questions that come up when they're at your dinner table. And, and it's, it's, it's the only way it's going to happen. And, and then when it does happen that way, then there, there's already this propensity for type fellowship. Because this is how they came to know Christ. They didn't come to know Christ in some sort of, sort of antiseptic kind of, a, of an environment. They came to know Christ in your living room. And so you continue to make a disciple out of them as their as your friend. Right. Does this sound expensive? Yeah. Yeah. Time, prayer, love. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It means so much that Justin and Rebecca were in my living room, and now they're in this church in New York City. They've been faithful and committed, and love Jesus with all their heart. Yeah, that's what's about. And they are encouragement to me, big time. That those those hours spent in that dining room and, and just talking one another. Made a difference. Made a difference. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You experience that. Others are like, hmm, sounds interesting. I'm considering it. You've got all the tools you need. You got the gospel, you got the Holy Spirit. Let's go. Let's go. Practice. Philo. Lord thank you that when we were strangers you loved us You took us in we were weird and awkward and sinful rebellious foolish and you brought us into intimacy with you you loved us and as you loved us that way our strangeness has started to get knocked off, and our sinfulness has been forgiven, and we've started to look more like you. Parts of our lives resembling your holiness and your transformation, God. And so I just I thank you for these and just their, their hunger, their desire to live out your love, which is a high calling. And impossible without you God so Lord I, I pray you you would empower this church who has already loved well God But I know you have so much more in mind for them in store for, for their ministry Father so give them faith give them courage to love like you and in obedience to you give their lives away for each other and for folks in New York City who not know you. And then because of of that love, that hospitality that they'll express, Lord, that many would come to know you. This church would continue to grow and thrive with new converts. But those new converts, we made disciples that they too would then turn and welcome the stranger. And more and more and more would would come to know your, your great name, your love, your forgiveness. For our time together for the conversations we'll have um, in a few minutes Lord help, help us to understand how it is that we love one another well and love the world and we pray these things